It was August 2010. A lady by the name of Judy Rivers of Logan, Alabama. You know where Logan is? Down in Coleman County. Uh, Judy Rivers of Logan, Alabama went to her local bank to open up a new account. And she got there and everything was going well. She gave her personal information to uh, the lady behind the desk. Everything was going smoothly until until the, the lady behind the desk uh, stopped and kind of frowned. And she said, ma'am, I'm sorry. Uh, this is kind of odd, but, but there's a problem with your social security number. So she got up and, and she went to the back and stayed in the back for what seemed like an eternity. The clerk came back bringing the, ba- the, the bank branch manager with her. And the, the branch manager had a, a piece of paper in, in her hand. And so they all sat down at the desk there together. And the, the manager said to Judy Rivers, Ma'am, I'm sorry, I don't really know how to tell you this, but we can't proceed any further here. You're not allowed to, to set up a, a new account with us because your social security number has been deactivated. And, and Judy Rivers said, well, tell me why. why why has my social security number been deactivated and she, the lady kind of sheepishly shrugged and she said well ma'am I don't know how to tell you this either but according to the social security administration you're dead come to find out true story Judy Rivers is one of about 12,000 U.S. citizens every year who are accidentally declared dead by the social security administration due to keystroke errors just problems with the computer, you know, one digit, uh, they, they misfire, you know, and, and, and all of that changes the, the course of life for some 12,000 people a year. In 2011, the Office of the Inspector General conducted an audit of the death master file. You may not know what the death master file is, but when you pass away, the Social Security Administration takes your Social Security number and registers it there in that, in that death master file. And so uh, this uh, audit that was conducted revealed that from May of 2007 to April of 2010, over, over 36,000 Americans were erroneously added to the master file, making them legally dead. And so people much like this Judy Rivers, without a social security number, these individuals uh, had all kinds of problems. Not only were they prohibited from making financial transactions, uh, they couldn't open new checking accounts, they had problems uh, getting jobs, they had problems filing their taxes, Uh, even visiting the doctor sometimes was, was complicated because of this. And worst of all, I guess the worst issue out of all of that would be that individuals like Judy Rivers had to endure the nightmare of trying to convince the United States government that they were not, in fact, dead. They were still alive. If you look at it from a certain point of view, Judy Rivers had to convince her government to issue that she had been born again, At at least when it comes to having all the proper paperwork filed. And today, as we look through John chapter 3... We're going to come across the same idea, the same concept about being born again, only this time we're not talking about someone who's been falsely accused of passing away. No, according to what Jesus says here in John chapter 3, we are all on equal footing because if we want to see the kingdom of God, Jesus says, we must be born again, not in the Judy Rivers sense of the term, 
but born again, or as we'll see here from Jesus today, born from above. If you have your Bibles there, uh, turn to John 3. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take just the next few minutes, and we are going to hear in context John 3, starting in verse 1 and all the way down through verse 21. So you can go ahead and turn there. I'll have these words on the screen as well. You'll recall a few weeks ago as we started this study, one of the things we said is that in John's gospel, Jesus teaches and communicates slightly differently than he does in the other gospels. Uh, not, there are no peril, uh, excuse me, parables in John's gospel. Instead, we have these lengthy discourses, and we come across one here. You look there in John 3, if you have a, a red-letter Bible, there are a lot of red words there in John 3, right? So what we want to do today is to hear this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus and the teaching that comes out of it, but in order to do that, we need to take a few minutes and hear these words in their context. So here's the word of the Lord, starting in verse 1 of John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And now we get to the part that many of us know by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the word of the Lord. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He comes under, under cloak of darkness. And right off the bat, we know that this is not an insignificant detail. In the Gospels, there, there are no insignificant details, especially in John's Gospel. 
So in John's gospel, we know that when he talks about light and darkness, he's talking about something more than just flipping the switch, lighting a torch. He's talking about this cosmic struggle between good and evil, truth and deception. And so in much the same way, when we get to this point, we we hear this about darkness. We understand that John's taking us to a deeper place. Darkness bookends this teaching. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in darkness, and then Jesus closes out that teaching by saying that light has come into the world, but the people instead have favored darkness over light. And we can stop right there and just say that, you know, we, we often have a hard time leaving the darkness. It can be difficult for us at times to, to leave the, the comfort of, of darkness and to instead step out into the light because the light exposes. When we step out into, into the light, then there's no place really to hide. We're thinking back again to the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve are trying to cover themselves with fig leaves and the Lord sees that and it's such a flimsy way of trying to hide and cover and, and the darkness in many respects serves the same function for us. We think that when we're in darkness, we have the, the opportunity to be rather anonymous. Now, what's done in the dark is somehow concealed and it remains a secret. This is how we fool ourselves sometimes. And yet, we know that what is revealed in the light certainly is much easier to conceal in the darkness. And I suspect that's why Nicodemus comes to Jesus when he does. Again, he comes at night, he comes in darkness, and he has this conversation with Jesus, a a Pharisee seeking out this rabbi for this clandestine Bible study. I don't know this to be true, but I have a, a pretty good feeling that the, the fellow Pharisees that Nicodemus typically eats lunch with, I doubt that they would have looked very favorably on this kind of conversation. And so, again, in John's gospel, we always have a deeper meaning. And in this particular case, darkness is a way of thinking about spiritual blindness. Now, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would hardly have been understood as being spiritually blind. No, he would have been the spiritual elite, right? I mean, he would be at the front of the pack in, in teaching about uh, the, the spiritual life and, and the religious life. He has these spiritual credentials and spades. He's the kind of man who's known for his piety. When he walks down the street, everyone looks at Nicodemus, and, and, and he's the kind of person that you want your son to grow up to, to be like, you know? Uh, Nicodemus is, is one who's well-versed in the, the world of book, chapter, and verse, okay? His study Bible is bigger than yours. Right? If there's a travel ball team for Bible Bowl, Nicodemus is on that team. Okay? He has these spiritual credentials and this spiritual pedigree. And yet, in this encounter with Jesus, Nicodemus comes off as one who is spiritually blind. Jesus says to him, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Nicodemus kind of scratches his head. And he says, how is that possible? I'm, I'm not quite understanding this. You know, the mechanics of how all that works, is, it's, it's puzzling to Nicodemus. And Jesus kind of needles him a little bit. He says to him, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand this? Literally, the Greek there says, you, you are the teacher in Israel. There's an article there. You're the teacher, Jesus says. And you don't understand this kind of thing? Jesus is kind of needling a, a little bit here. So we have the Pharisee, we have the teacher in Israel, the one who has the spiritual pedigree, and yet yet he's also the one who is spiritually blind in this encounter. So it's really a, a pretty provocative story when you think about it. 
that Jesus would even imply that this man, the Pharisee and the teacher of Israel, is spiritually blind. And Jesus tells him, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you won't see the kingdom of God. And if you're not seeing the kingdom of God, you're not really seeing, according to Jesus. And so, for all of his religious pedigree, for all of his book, chapter, and verse, for all of the the status that he might have as the teacher in Israel, Nicodemus is spiritually blind. And I want to pause right there and say that I am deeply sympathetic toward Nicodemus because I'm something of a recovering Nicodemus myself. I, too would prefer to stay in the darkness. I, too, have a, have a difficult time sometimes stepping out of the, the anonymity of, of the darkness and stepping into the full light before the Lord. That is a vulnerable place to be. And, and I, like Nicodemus, sometimes, sometimes prefer to keep things there in the dark. Like Nicodemus, I, too, have been well-schooled in that world of book, chapter, and verse, but I, can know, I know firsthand also how easy it is to sometimes miss the point. I was on the Bible Bowl team too, you know, and yet there are still times in my life when I find myself feeling just like Nicodemus. I scratch my head and I wonder, what am I not seeing? I must be spiritually blind as well. And I think we can relate to Nicodemus on many different levels because like Nicodemus, we all, Nicodemus included, we all need the same thing. We need to be born again. In this text, the phrase born again, it it can also be translated as born from above. The Greek scholars and the, the language experts look at all this and they say both of those translations are valid. So born again, born above, or born from above. And I think that's helpful because we can use both of those translations to, to help us understand. One can help translate the other for us. So to be born again is to be born from above. When we talk about being born again, we are talking about the spiritual rebirth that only God can bring about. So to be born again is to be born from on high or to be born from above. Last month in January, we spent a lot of time talking about what it means for us to be a new creation And all of that conversation comes to bear now as we look at John chapter 3, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of spirit. So we have this this conversation about new birth, about being born again, and then Jesus Jesus unpacks that a little bit more for us by saying that you need to be born of water and born of, of spirit. And that initial moment of rebirth, baptism, it is a moment where where there is a birth that takes place. It is a birth of both water and spirit, is it not? Uh, In John's gospel, we're we're coming into into this study fully aware that there are many themes that John has, and one of them is water. So on the stage behind me, over here on the, on the far right, we have a picture of water. We've been trying to change some of these out over the weeks. And, you know, last week we're talking about John 1 and how Jesus is the Word. So we kind of focused on this image directly behind me. But, but now today, let your mind focus instead on what Jesus is teaching here and how water comes into play. To, to be born of water and spirit, he says. So in John's Gospel, there are 20 different references to water. 
In John's gospel, there are 20 different teachings, 20 different episodes where he's taking that theme of, of water and kind of working it in somehow. That Jesus has so much to say about water. Next week, we'll look at John chapter 4, and, and I'm convinced that John 3 and John 4 kind of come together, where you have Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, and the common thread there is going to be this teaching about water, okay? So a little teaser, you can read John 4, and we'll come in, and we'll talk about that next time, all right? But here, we have 20 different references to water in John's gospel. Do you think it's possible that in the story that John is telling, those, those 20 references all kind of work together? That those 20 references to water are, are bringing us to a, to a convergence here, where we begin to understand how the Spirit brings that new life into our, into our physical bodies in that moment when we are baptized. Can we begin to think of baptism not just as a death, although it certainly is, but as a place where, again, the Spirit brings that life. Once we are crucified with Christ in baptism, then we are also raised up and we are transformed into something new and beautiful and something that has been reborn from on high, someone who has been reborn from above. Baptism is not just a death. It is, in so many ways, the place of new life. And so in baptism, we, we find ourselves being born again, being born from above. So the daring question for some of us, the daring question for, for those who are unbaptized, is just this. Would you dare to be born again? To be born of water and spirit? That's one of those daring truths that we come across as we read through John's gospel. But renewal and rebirth, although they may begin at baptism, they certainly don't end there, right? No, we're reminded constantly of how we need to, to refocus. We, we're reminded constantly of our, our perpetual need for renewal. Uh, just a, a few moments ago, we gathered around the table and we celebrated, we commemorated, we reflected on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we do that every week, do we not? And the purpose there is to help us refocus, to help us uh, kind of recenter on that story, which is our story as the people of God. And so from a, a certain point of view, we could say that every week when we gather around the table, that is a time of rebirth, isn't it? How many times has it happened when, when you've come in to, to worship and maybe we're reflecting on all of the things that have happened over the course of a week and, and we get to that, that point where we're gathering around the table and, and no matter how many times you've heard the story, it's just it's something about the way that it's framed that day, something about the, the, the song that we sang leading up to it or the scripture that was read that just brought out a new dimension for you of the enormity of God's love for you that he would send his son to die on the cross to redeem us. And that moment where, we're, where it's all made new to us again, is that not a moment of renewal and rebirth? Absolutely. And we need those kinds of moments, don't we? And so as we continue to reflect on what it means to be born from above, born from on high, I guess the, the question for those of us who have been following the Lord for a long time, maybe it's been a long, long time since those baptismal garments dried for you, the question that I would pose to you, the daring question would be this, would you be born again, again? Would you allow the story of God's grace and his love to just continue to bring about that refocusing and that, and that renewal when you hear it again with fresh ears? 
Have you become so complacent with all of this that God's not able to really get through and renew you and give birth to you from on high again, even today? If so, that question is an important one for you. I read about a preacher who performed his own son's uh, wedding ceremony. So he officiated at the, the wedding. And early on in the ceremony, he turned to the, the bride and groom and he said this. He said, your parents have prayed from the moment of your birth. They've prayed for the right person to come along to be your husband or wife. And he says, your parents have also been trying to help you become the kind of person who would find that right person. I really like that. I think I'm going to keep that and file it away for, uh, for later, okay? But then he said this. He said, but your identity does not have anything to do with who you were born to or where you were born or when you were born. Your true identity has to do with when you were born again. And when you said yes to God, that changed everything. To be born again is to be born from above, but it is also to say yes to God. And that one word, last week we said one word can make all the difference, right? And when we say yes to God, when we say we want to be born again, those words make all the difference. When we say yes to God, everything changes. When we are born, not the first time, but when we are born again, born of water and spirit, everything changes. And that's the transformative power here of the gospel. And so just as we would say that a good marriage is characterized by a commitment to live out the covenant vow that a couple enters into on their wedding day, just as we would say that about a good marriage, we would also say that to follow Jesus is to, to live out, to commit to living out the covenant vow that we enter into with him in the waters of baptism. I've been there, same as you. I've stood right here on this very stage with countless couples who have uh, announced those vows to each other and their, their intention to pledge to one another that they will always be faithful, that they will love each other with a love that will never fail. We've read 1 Corinthians 13 and we've cried together on this stage and they've, they've lit unity candles and done all kinds of ceremonies to try and say, in essence, hey, I'm going to be committed to this vow right here. And in much the same way, when we commit to following Jesus, are we not saying the same thing to him? That we're entering into that covenant relationship with him and that we're going to commit to doing everything we can to maintain our part of that covenant? Don't, hear, don't misunderstand me. This is not works righteousness. We could never earn or merit our salvation. That is the free gift of God. It is his, it is his gracious gift to us in Jesus. But what I am saying is that whenever we commit to following after Christ, is there not some level of commitment that, is, that, is, that we bring to that table? Isn't there something that is required of us in response to the gift of God's grace? I think so, and I think it's discipleship. I think it's following Jesus. Otherwise, Jesus would never say to people who come to him, he would never tell them to count the cost. Because when you tell them to count the cost, there are sometimes when people turn around and walk away. You remember when Jesus has that rich young ruler and he comes to Jesus and he wants to show off? And Jesus says, go sell everything and then come back, then you can follow me. And he left sad, filled with sorrow, right? Because of everything he had. He wasn't willing to give that up in order to follow after Jesus. He wasn't willing to say yes 
to Jesus to that degree? The question is, am I? Are you? Am I willing to say yes to Jesus over and over and over again? Am I willing to live out the covenant vow, living out my baptism, if you want to put it that way, the covenant vow that I entered into with the Lord? And why don't I take that covenant vow as seriously as I take the covenant vow that I made to my bride? Let me remind you of the words of Jesus that we reflected on last week, or last month, rather, from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, the Lord says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Saying yes to God is that daily exercise of self-denial and cross-bearing that leads to a perpetual spiritual rebirth. And we get to John 3, and we get to the story of Nicodemus, and we find this is the context for the the most well-known passage of Scripture in the entire Bible, right? John 3, 16. I won't ask you for a show of hands, but I would be willing to bet a lot of you You had a mom or a dad or a grandparent or a Bible teacher or somebody who wanted you to commit that one to memory pretty early on, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son, some of our memories, it's the only begotten son, right? That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, have everlasting life. It's a powerful word. People love it because it is the gospel in a sentence. I think it's a great way to think about John 3.16. But one interesting point about that, as you reflect and as you read through it, the scholars have pointed this out, that, that the language that's used there, the final phrase of that verse, have eternal life, the word have is actually, it's actually a present tense verb. So what John is saying is, what he's not saying, he's not saying that that whoever believes in him will have someday eternal life in, in some future heavenly state. Not exactly what he says. There are other passages of scripture that could teach us such. But no, no, he says that eternal life is possible now. That it's a present reality. That quite literally, that last part reads that whosoever believes in him should not be perishing, that's also present tense, but may be having now, today, eternal life. As we said last month, uh, we are now new creations in Christ. We talked all about that through the month of January. And what we said is that new creation is a present reality because Jesus himself is life, Right? And that he gives life right now in the present. And it may may just be a foretaste of what that eternal life will ultimately be like in heaven. But still, Jesus promises in John 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It is in John's gospel that Jesus declares that he comes to bring life and life to the full. That abundant life that we find in Christ. It is possible, folks, to have that here and now. That there is a qualitative dimension to the life that Jesus brings that is transformative, not just in eternity, but in the present. So that means if I'm following Jesus, the quality of my life is different. It's better because of the things he brings about in my life. The fruit of the Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, patience, all of that he brings in the present. Because eternal life can be tasted and touched even now in the present. 
To be born again is to experience eternal life now. I have a letter I received this week that I was asked to to share with you. And so I want to do that here. This letter is from one of our members. Her name is Chastity Harville. She is the daughter of David and Terry Huffnagel. Uh, They're not in this worship assembly. They were here at first service. Uh, Terry came and brought me this letter from Chastity this week and, and gave it to me, and Chastity was asking if, uh, if, if it could be read in our worship assembly. If you know Chastity's story, for many years she's had a lot of struggles. Uh, this is just the kind of thing that, that's, that's not been very private. She struggled with a lot of substance abuse, and uh, she, she re- writes this letter today from a place where she is receiving some help. And there are many people in this church who've been praying for chastity for a long time. They're good friends of David and Terry's who've helped support them through, uh, through this trying time over these past many years. And I want you to hear these words today, primarily because I told my sister I would read them to you. I haven't changed a single word of what she writes. Chastity says, Dear Mayfair family, thank you for all of your prayers. On January 1st, the Sunshine Ministries in Arab opened a house for women, and I was the fifth woman to join the program and move into the house. I'm truly humbled that God has chosen me to be a part of history in the making. I've given my life back to God, and I'm giving my all to this program. I'll be here for nine months to a year, so please know that God has heard your prayers. I'm grateful to be here, but sometimes Satan comes at me hard and makes me want to leave. Please pray for God to give me the strength and the faith to stick with it. I miss my girls so much that my arms ache to hold them, but by the grace of God, I remain in good spirits for the most part. My parents aren't able to be just grandparents to my girls. Because of my actions, they're taking care of my girls. And as you know, my dad isn't in good health. My family has been through so much. Please pray for them and support them as much as you can while I'm not there with them. I have no doubt that you'll continue to be a blessing to them because love and support and encouragement are always business as usual with all of you. I send each of you all my love and appreciation May the Lord our God bless you and keep you for all of your days. Sincerely, chastity. To be born again is to be born from above. To be born again is to say yes to God. And to be born again is to experience eternal life now. The question I have for you is, you are, is this. Are you alive to God right now? And if not... Why not? This week's dare is simple. Would you allow God to give you the rebirth, the birth from on high that you need? Our sister, Chastity, isn't here with us physically to be able to walk down the aisle and and give us this letter. But she's here in spirit. And today we're going to close our time of assembly by asking if there's anybody else that has something on their heart like that that they need to share. You know how to do this. There are so many ways this can happen, but you'll see some of your shepherds down front. You'll see them in the back of the room, and they're there 
If there's anything that's on your heart that you need to talk about with one of your shepherds and pray about with one of them, they stand ready. And maybe today, the Spirit has moved in your heart and in your mind and you are ready to, to put Christ on in baptism and to be born of Spirit, to be born of truth. I can't think of a better way for us to end a morning together than by witnessing that. Whatever needs to happen, I hope that this moment will not pass without you and me allowing the God of rebirth to do what he wants to do in us in this moment. Let's stand and sing together. Learning.